The Bible Study Podcast, episode 563. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of the kings of Israel and Judah with 1 Kings 21. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. We continue on this study of 1 Kings with 1 Kings 21, Naboth's Vineyard. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home, sullen and angry, because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, Sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, Is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezreel directed in the letters she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then the two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. We're going to talk about what happens next, but let's just look at this story. This is a very terrible story. So let's look at it. Ahab wants this vineyard. He wants it for a vegetable garden. And this doesn't seem unreasonable. His offer to Naboth is a reasonable offer, or it looks like a reasonable offer. Give me your vineyard. I'll give you something better. I just want this because of the location, 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 location. And if that doesn't work for you, I'll I'll pay you. But Naboth's This land has been in his family for generations. And the one thing we do need to understand is in the Old Testament, there is officially in the law of the year of Jubilee, for instance, where land is never sold. You never sell the family land. You rent it out for the number of years between now and the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, the land will go back to the original family. So you need to understand that because there's some context that that has in the story. Now, there is no evidence that they ever really practiced the year of Jubilee that was in the law. And certainly we don't expect that Ahab would, because Ahab is not faithful to the law or to God. But that is this culture here that at least in the law, there's this idea that you don't 
ever give up the family land. You might lease it out for a period of time, especially if you're strapped for cash, and you can understand why that might be the case. But you don't ever give it up. And so Naboth, when he replies with, God forbid that I should give up the inheritance, literally God does forbid that. So while Ahab's offer seems very reasonable, Naboth's response in the context of the Old Testament is also very reasonable. Jezebel, on the other hand, has no scruples whatsoever. And this is part of the problem with rulers, is they can begin to think that it's all theirs. And this is with elected rulers, this is with kings and queens especially, but this sense of entitlement, of I want the vineyard, well, I'll get it for you because I can. We never see anything, or at least I can't recall ever seeing anything in Jezebel in these chapters we've had so far or in the future that gives us any sense that she has any moral compass whatsoever. She wants it, she'll get it. The reason you have power is to use it to improve your own life or the life of your family. Now, whatever you do, don't elect leaders that have that kind of opinion. You're in trouble if you have a king or a queen who have that kind of opinion. But that's what happens. And then this is compounded because she goes to the elders of the town and says, hey, I want you to falsely accuse a man and kill him because it will please me. And they say, yes. So now we've got Ahab really so far hasn't done anything wrong, except maybe he should have asked the question of Jezebel, how do you intend to get that for me? Because if we know Jezebel, he is really complicit in the sense that he probably knew that this was what she was going to do. This is par for the course with her. This is the person who's been killing the prophets, right? But the elders of Naboth's town, they are absolutely complicit in this. When a person in power comes to you and says, I want to use my power to increase my family's wealth, and I really don't care who I step on to do it, will you help me? And you say, yes, uh, you're just as bad as she is. And so they falsely accuse Naboth, they kill him off, you know, talk about swift justice. Swift justice is not necessarily justice, and it isn't in this case. This is the equivalent of lynching, basically. This is rapid but unjust. And so Ahab has got his way, Jezebel has got his way, and there's no consequences. If you expected that that is how this story would end, then clearly you haven't been paying attention here in First Kings as it goes on. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Ahab said to Elijah, so you have found me, my enemy. I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. He says, I am going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. 
I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Baasha, son of Ahijah, because you have aroused my anger and caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, Dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city, and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. Interesting in this section here, we get that writers aside that when we talk about David, we say there was never a king like David because he sought after the God with his whole heart. There's never a king like Ahab because he sold himself to do evil. He was so sold out in terms of, you know, so lacking in moral compass, so lacking in conscience, urged on by his wife. It's interesting. She doesn't get the blame here as much as he does because he's the king. He's in charge. He's the one who allowed Jezebel to do what she did. Uh, Oh, she's going to die too, but it is to Ahab that is that Elijah is sent. But remember last time I said, notice that when Elijah pronounces judgment on Ahab, that he did not humble himself, that he did not repent. We do actually get in this story Ahab repenting. Ahab putting on sackcloth and ashes, not going away angry and all of those other things, but Ahab at least outwardly repenting. And God says, hey, I see that you were repenting. I'm going to hold off my judgment. Now, the interesting thing is, remember, I'm going to hold on my judgment in light of the fact that there was never anybody as bad as Ahab, even Ahab, God can show mercy on. Now, the interesting thing to notice here, when you look at all of these, you know, terrible, the dogs are going to lick up your things, the birds are going to eat those who feed on your die in your country, if those sound familiar, they should be, because these are the pronouncements that God made on the previous kings of Israel who were unfaithful to him, and said, I'm going to raise up somebody else, and he puts somebody else in place, and then they do the same thing. And so why would they expect a different result? If all of the kings so far have been unfaithful to God and have not had a long dynasty, but instead have died when God's because and God says that they will why would you behave in the same fashion and expect a different result and yet we sometimes don't look at the consequences of our actions corporately personally politically whatever the context is it's very easy for us to do the same thing as someone else but But one of the things that's weird is we are, as far as we can tell, the star of our own play, right? From your point of view, you are the central character in life, in the world, because that's the point of view 
that you were looking at this drama through. And so it's easy when we have that perspective of we are the central character and think how much more that is doubled when you are the king or the queen. How much more it seems like everything revolves around you. Because it already seems that way to you a little bit anyway, right? Everything that happens in the world, as far as you can tell, happens to you because that's, that's your point of view. And it is important for us to get out of that point of view. And one of the reasons that God sends his, his law, sends his prophets, is for us to see another point of view. And that is the point of view of God. My prayer for you and I this week is that we will see outside of our own selfish interests and see the point of view of God as Ahab had trouble doing, as Jezebel didn't even try to do. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com, or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And thanks so much for listening. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared to You podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared to Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit LifeAudio.com to listen and subscribe.